And while they're leaving, let's take our Bibles this morning, please turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Be still my soul. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And it's my prayer and hope that you took some time each day this week just to stop, spend some time with the Lord, and know His presence in your life. And prepare your hearts to receive from the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 3 We're in a series about the local church right now, and you might remember last Sunday I was reading the scripture from Acts chapter 2, and I was going to preach a message entitled, The People of the Church, but verse 37 says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and the Lord did something in my heart at that moment, and and I preached something completely different, and uh, about having a passion for Christ in his church, and how, how we need to be receptive to the Holy Spirit when he speaks to us, and we see so many. I was talking with Brother Connor last night, and I'm really concerned right now that we are not uh, turning out young people for service, uh, young people that would go to the mission field or pastor a church. I know that that's not everybody's calling. I understand that. I am thankful for faithful people that stay in their local church and serve. And uh, we don't see that a lot in some because our young people go to college And then they move to the city a lot of times. And so thankful for the ones that stay and are able to work here and and praise the Lord, build a life here. And uh, But we even know, Daniel, we're on borrowed time, aren't we? And uh, we're so thankful that you've been helping us. But we know that Daniel's a lawyer in Toronto area. And so he's because of COVID, he's able to work here and be a help and a blessing to us while Mrs. Baker's taking care of her mother. But that's that's the the habit. But unfortunately, it's, it's just my estimate, but I believe we'll have 50 empty pulpits in Baptist churches in Canada in the next few years. I was talking to Brother Stone, your son Al, and he travels and preaches more out, and and he said, I think it might be closer to 100. With a number of guys that are close to retirement and other men that are not entering ministry or getting discouraged and dropping out, nobody to take their place, and it's become a real burden in my heart. And I wonder, where does it all start? And uh, I guess it stirred a little while ago when I was preaching on the things of the temple and how, how the some would bring a chalice of gold and silver, and, but then the Levites just brought themselves. They were to give their entire lives to God. And there are different callings. I understand that there are some that must give certain things to the church, their time, their talents, their treasures, their tithes. But I also understand there are some that God calls us to give our all. Think, think about this in the terms of the Canadian soldier. We are thankful for the freedoms that we have, but in order for us to have that, there were some that had to give their lives. They gave all in service for their country, and God deserves no less. He needs us as good soldiers of the cross to give, and some to give all. So I would encourage you to pray with me about that burden. I, I'm trying to figure out a way to practically try to, to do something that would encourage more young people to at least look at mem- uh, ministry and surrender their lives to God and wherever he takes them, that they'll follow along. Last week we talked about that, and I think one of the, one of the root symptoms or the problems that we have is a lack of passion in the church. Think about this. If there were a teenager standing beside you during the service this morning and they watched your face 
As you sang, my chains fell off, my heart was free. Would they want to go into the ministry and serve Almighty God based on how you were worshiping at that moment? Just just do some self-examination this morning. I, I know, I, I know what it's like. We sing these hymns and we've sang, and can it be? It's a couple hundred years old. It's not a newer one that's, that's, that's fresh in our minds and exciting and it has uh, the same Bible truths just stated in a different way so it stirs us up. And uh, No, no, it's one that we have sang probably. I, I, I've been in church my whole life. As long as I can remember, I've been coming to Bethel Baptist Church and I probably sang it when I was three years old. It's one of those songs that we know and we just sing it out. But do the words still mean something to you? When was the last time, like I asked last week, the Holy Spirit pricked your heart? We have a problem with empty altars, problem with empty prayer meetings, the least attended meeting of the week when it should be the most important meeting of the week. For it is the fuel that pushes God's church forward as we pray and seek God's face. So this morning, I I switched my messages around. We were going to look at the people of the church like we were supposed to last week. But I want to build off last week's message, and I'll I'll preach next week's message. We moved it up. The passion, the passion of the local church. I think it's an important thing that we have a passion for God. And so look at with me, if you will, Ephesians chapter 3. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know where to start reading because it just kind of, it doesn't have a clear paragraph structure. And so I'm just going to start at verse 1. We'll read the chapter, but I'll preach from verse 9 till the end. But I think we should get the context. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word, if I... If God in eternity past were to gather my soul and say, hold it in his hand and say, which dispensation would you like to live in? I'm glad he put me in the grace of God. The dispensation of the grace of God. I'm thankful for that. The law would have been so difficult. We can't keep the law now, but with, by God's grace, we are saved and forgiven. Verse 3, how that by revelation... He made known unto me, Paul, the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Well, that's another wonderful advantage of living in the age of grace. God has revealed things to us that the prophets of old did not know, but we have his holy word. Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. You say, who's that? That's you. In other words, salvation has been extended to the Gentile world. Jesus Christ died for God loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. What a wonderful thing. Verse 7, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, 
to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you which is for you which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length, and depth, and height. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. How many of you memorized this verse? According to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we humbly come before your throne of grace and we ask, Lord, that you'd bless this time in your word today. Father, I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit as I surrender to you. I pray that the Spirit of God would speak to each heart today, that you would minister to each one, that you'd fill each person that would also surrender to you. But Lord, more importantly than anything I say, I pray that you'd bless your holy word. Lord, that it would not return void, that it would work in our hearts and help us, Lord, to start forging a passion for the things of Christ. Lord, I think sometimes we have allowed that fire to grow cold. But Lord, if there's still an ember there, we pray that you would stir it up today. Help us, we pray, to be a living, powerful church for the glory of Jesus Christ. Help us now, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have heard somebody say they have a passion for something? I'm sure you've all heard that. I have a passion for my work. I have a passion for hockey, right? A lot of people, a lot of people do. And a matter of fact, if I started dropping sports teams' names, we might see the passion come out. Mrs. Lamb, Martha Lamb, 85 years old, Last October, wore a green shirt to church because this, the Rough Riders were playing in the Grey Cup that night. And she was cheering on the... I mean, 85 years old and still passionate about Saskatchewan football. Uh, if I were to say the Toronto Maple Leafs, Anita Garner might throw her canes away and start dancing in the aisles. I mean, she's excited about the Maple Leafs, aren't you, Anita? And uh, passionate about it. If Pastor Lake was here... We'd have a war with Anita because he's a Montreal fan. We get passionate about a lot of things, don't we? Some might even say, you know what? I'm passionate about my Sunday school class. I love those little kids. I'm passionate about sharing the gospel truth with children. I think that's a good thing. Some might say, I'm passionate about my church. I'm passionate about my church. But I want to suggest to you something this morning. All of those things must be secondary to being passionate for Christ. Because here's the thing. 
Anita, the Leafs are going to let you down. And all God's people said, amen. I don't know if they've won in your lifetime. But here's the thing. The church is also going to let you down from time to time. A decision is going to be made you're not happy about. People are going to mess up. It's going to discourage you. If your passion is the church, you're going to be in trouble. If your passion is ministry or ministering to a Sunday school class, or you say, my passion is the buses. I love working on the buses. I love knocking on doors and bringing kids and families to church. If, if that is your passion, one day you're going to be let down. You'll be disappointed. I'm just saying this morning that there's a larger thing we can focus on. Our passion must be Christ. And if he burdens you for the bus ministry, he will fuel that thing. If he burdens you for Sunday school, he will fuel that. So I want you to look in the word of God with me this morning as we talk about the passion of the church. Now notice I did not title this the passion for the church. Because the passion of the church is Jesus. That ought to be our focal point. I make no apology whatsoever that when we come to church on a Sunday morning, we'll get up and for a half hour we will worship God. We do not have announcements where we get up and talk about a Friday night basketball game. We do not say the kids are going to Wonderland this Saturday. We save that until the service is concluded. Because for that time, we are jealous about worshiping our God. It's important. He is the passion of the church. Let me say this. In Hamilton, I knew a lady who had passion for a lot of things, but it was not for Christ. And he said, well, are you judging her? Well, I'm judging her by her fruits. I'm not trying to make an assumption of what was going on in her heart, but it looked like she was wearing it on the outside. And she loved to work in Sunday school, and she loved to put up bulletin boards, and she'd always ask, come and get me. She said, well, come and see what I did for the kids. And she'd put up a bulletin board for Christmas, and... Forgive me for saying this, it looked like Christmas threw up. I mean, it was horrible. There were decorations from 1944, faded and torn. And, but look what I did for the kids. And I would always say, hey, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. You know, the Bible says when we seek the plaza of men, we already have our reward. Her passion was for the applause of men. Her passion was for service. And her passion was for kids but her passion was not for Christ. That became very evident in her temper and how if things didn't go her way, she'd be upset about it. Where is your passion? Look what the Bible says with me this morning, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Listen, when secondary passions take precedence, they become idols. Let me say that again. When secondary passions take precedence over Jesus Christ, they become idols. I know people that are passionate about all kinds of things, cars, sports. They become idols when they're more important than Jesus. Let's be very careful. Notice what the Bible says. I want you to notice, first of all, the foundation. 
the foundation of our passion. Look at verse 9 with me. I told you we would start there. So look at verse 9 with me, the foundation of, his, of our passion. And under words, listen, sometimes when we lose our passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because we have stepped off that foundation. We are planting our feet on something else. We're, we're riding a wave of a, a momentum of a sports team or we're excited about music or something else, some peripheral thing. By the way, Satan would love if you'd focus on anything but Jesus. I remember years ago going to a meeting that I was invited by a pastor to go with him. Uh, this was in the United States. And he says, we're going over here. It's a rotary club meeting. I don't know anything if we even have those in Canada, but it had a rotary club meeting. And he says, they want to dig some wells in Africa. And my friend was a missionary to Africa. And he says, I'm going to go and listen to what they have to say. They want to fund these things. And he says, if I can get one near the orphanage we have there, that'd be wonderful. So I went with him. And we had breakfast, and they opened up this songbook. They literally sang songs. And they had taken hymns, and they had changed, taken the word God out and put the word rotary in. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever heard. Uh, you know the song, and, and not just hymns, other songs too. Oh, Christmas tree. Oh, Christmas tree. Oh, you know that? Oh, rotary, oh, rotary. It was the most ridiculous thing I ever heard, singing the praises of this organization. It was odd. It was indoctrinating. We have to be very careful that we don't step off the foundation and start worshiping something else. I was teasing Anita. I know she loves the Lord more than she loves the maple leaves. We all have our passions, but are they in the right place? Are they secondary to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do not let them become an idol in your life. So the foundation of our passion is found in verse 9. Notice what it says. And to make all men see. Does that include you? <laughs> all men Paul the Apostle says, I have been sent off to the Gentiles to reveal the mystery of the ages. And here's part of it right here. I want all men to see something. What is it we're to see? Verse 9. What is the fellowship of the mystery from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God, look at it says, who created all things by Jesus Christ. I think sometimes the Lord Jesus Christ becomes secondary because we lose respect of his power. That's the first thing. If we're going to have the right foundation, we need to respect the power of God. When was the last time you just stopped and thought about the very power of God and what God has done? I've, been, I, I've got a little app on my phone. I don't have my phone. But I can, I can open up this app and I can hold it to the sky and it'll tell me whatever star is up there. It's really neat. I don't know if you've noticed, there's been a real bright star just above the moon to the left at about 8 o'clock every night. Have you noticed that? That's actually Jupiter. You can see Jupiter right now. And tucked just behind the moon is Saturn. And so when the moon moves past it, you can see Saturn. And on a real clear night like we had uh, the night before last, you can actually see the aura around Saturn. My God made all that. I said to my wife the other day, I said, it's an incredible thing. I, I told you I've been working very hard at taking care of my uh, diabetes and things, and so I've been able to cut my insulin in half. I'm very thankful to God for that. But I said, I said to my wife yesterday, I said, God is so amazing. God is so amazing that I know that in Canadian terms, our blood sugar should be between four and seven. I know that. That's what my doctors told me. That's what I have to look for all the time, between four and seven. I said to my wife, I said, because you do not have diabetes, you can eat a salad and your sugar will be 5.5. I said, you can eat a chocolate bar and your sugar will be 5.7. 
I said, but I know your sugar can go from one. I've had it drop as low as two before. And I said, I know it can go as high as 40 when they caught it. That's a big range. And yet most people, God keeps it right between four and seven. It's amazing how God is so intricate about his creation. And I know, I can tell you right now, that if my sugar goes to 3.8, I start shaking and I start sweating. And I'm just 0.2 micrograms below where it should be. Isn't God amazing? How many of you have ever, you don't raise your hands about this, have you ever taken your blood pressure? There's a wide range of where that's going to fall. But we know this, that when it's dead on, we know God has put it there. And for most people, they don't have any problems with it. God keeps you right in a perfect range. Your heart beating just right. So many beats. It's amazing how intricate. I don't know how you'd ever believe in evolution. I don't have enough faith to believe in evolution. I believe in an almighty God who created all that is. And we need to understand that the foundation for our passion for Christ has to start with we have a respect for his power, who he is. Now notice, notice the second thing uh, the apostle says to us in verse 10. Uh, verse, uh, yeah, verse 10, to the intent... That now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I see that verse, eternal purpose, I get excited. It's telling me, God, hey, God's got a plan, listen up. There's an eternal purpose, and it's through Christ Jesus our Lord. He purposed it through him. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and what? access with confidence by the faith of him. I said a moment ago, the foundation of our passion starts with the respect of his power. Secondly, it's the realization of his purpose. And what is his purpose? That he would help us to have access back to God. Through Jesus Christ, we can have access to God. Think about that. I preached last Sunday night. It was our Lord's table. Have you gotten over the death of Christ? The Faithman Quartet sings a song, I've never gotten over getting saved. Well, I hope that's true in your life. I hope that you've, sometimes we don't have a passion for soul winning and telling others about Jesus because we've gotten over his death. It's just some guy that died 2,000 years ago and yes, he accomplished something and I put my faith in him, but I've been saved for 30 and 40 years and I've, I'm past it now. But notice what the scripture says. He has granted us access. Hebrews chapter four tells us what it is. We can go boldly to the throne of grace and we can ask for grace and find mercy to help in the time of need. We can go into the very presence of God because we have been reconciliated by the blood of Jesus Christ. Friend, let me just pause for a moment and ask you, do you know Jesus like that? Are you saved today? God's eternal purpose that he purposed through his son, Jesus Christ, was that Jesus would grant us access back to the Father. We were separated by sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not trying to insult you. The Bible says, all. I have sinned. And the Bible says, the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you just simply trust him today, you can be saved. I'd love to take some time after the service and spend some time in the word of God. Not a track, not a creed, not a church covenant. We'll show you what God's holy word shows about how you can know. You, have you mean we can know we have eternal life? These things have I written unto them that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know 
that ye have eternal life. It's a promise of God. We'd love to help you today. Listen, I, I believe our passion needs the right foundation, and it starts with respecting his power and realizing his purpose. You say, is that really, really his purpose? Jesus Christ came to this world to save sinners. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He said that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. God is not willing that any should perish. Your eternal salvation is so important to God that he sent his only son to die on a cross to save your souls, that you might have access to the Father again. So understand this morning, the right foundation starts respecting his power, realizing his purpose, but then we need to have a reverence for his person. Notice what it says in verse uh, 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto my Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may, able, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. I want you to notice something here about reverence for his person. He says, I bow my knee. The Apostle Paul basically is just summarizing his last two things. When I consider his power and I consider his purpose, all I can do is bow in holy reverence. And notice he mentions all three people of the Trinity. He says, to my Father. In the next verse, he says, the Spirit, verse 15, of whom the whole, or sorry, verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the might by his Spirit. And then verse 17, that Christ may dwell in you. As he bows his knee to his Father, his prayer is threefold, that the fullness of God... It says right at the end of verse 19 that all that we might be filled with all the fullness of God might dwell in us. Listen, that is the very foundation of our passion. If you are, if you are excited this morning, I can't wait to get to church, man. I love singing those hymns. Listen, it's not wrong to want to worship God. It's not, man, I love singing too. You, you know that there's some nights where we just throw out the order of service and we just sing and sing and sing and sing. We love, I love to sing. As a matter of fact, I, can, I, I could probably preach 40, 45 minutes and my voice starts dying, but I could sing for hours and never get tired. I love, I love singing. I love worshiping God. But let me say this. If it's because you enjoy the harmony or the beat of the music or you enjoy the ensemble or whatever it is, that's a view just a little bit too low. Our passion has to be Christ. Why do you like to sing? Because I want to glorify my God. I want to honor Him. Why do you like to teach Sunday school? Because my God sent His Son to die on a cross, and I want to honor Him and praise Him by bringing little souls to the foot of the cross. Why do you love the bus ministry? Because God said, whosoever will may come. And he said, he's not willing that any should perish. And he has purposed it in my life. And so I want to bring glory to God by serving in some way. I want you to notice the next thing. And I think this is important. We're going to build on this. So we, we talk about the foundation. The foundation of our passion must be the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to give you, secondly, the focus of our passion. 
the focus of our passion. Look at verse 21 with me. This does not mean we're done, by the way. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. World without end. Amen. That that ought to be our focus. Right there. Why are you going to church? Unto him be glory in the church. Unto him be glory in the church. I'm not going to check out the latest fashions. I'm not going because uh, I want to gossip about this group over here or this group over here. I'm not going because I want to see my friends. I'm going because I want to bring God glory. That's my sole purpose. That doesn't mean you can't fellowship. We will do that. We'll fellowship. It doesn't mean it's not a great place. A great place. I, I mean, years ago, I remember when I went off to Bible college, somebody said to, to my school teacher, Steve Simmermaker, well, I was just going to college, Bible college to find a wife. And he says, sure, better place than a bar. Young people, find your wives and husbands in church. It's a great place for that. I love it when I see a young couple grow up in the church and they, they get married. I think that's good. That's, that's a good place to find somebody. Listen, but that's not the primary purpose. We come here to give glory to God. Wouldn't that change the way we do a lot of things? The way we fidget and move around? We pull out our calendars and check the, the next thing. We look at our watches and say, oh, the roast beef's going to burn. What if we pushed all that aside for a little while and just said, unto him be glory in the church? That verse was on the back wall before we renovated. It had been up there for so long that it was still there even after we took it down. You know what I mean. It was incredible. That was a theme. And it ought to still be the theme of our hearts. Unto him be glory in the church. I've been praying about 2022 and what God would lay upon my heart for a theme for the year. And I've, I've shared it with the choir and I shared it with a Sunday school class that I taught a week ago or two. And uh, it comes down to this verse right here, 1 Corinthians 10.31. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Have you ever said... I feel burnt out. That's because our focus is wrong. It's a spiritual issue. I, there's a lot of Sunday nights I'll go home and I'm tired. Don't get me wrong. And there's times where I've been discouraged in the ministry. But I don't ever want to be burnt out. Because that's a spiritual issue. Because my Bible says that he, the Spirit strengthens the inner man. Though the outward man perish... We are renewed, the inner man is renewed day by day. And so we ought to be able to draw on the strength of the Lord. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So I never want to be burned out. I've heard preachers say, well, I'd rather burn out than rust out. Either way, you're out. It doesn't help anybody if you're out. Would to God that we learn how to draw upon God's power and strength in our lives, but it comes by having the right focus. Are we focused on Christ? Let me give you a couple things this morning. Number one, the danger of a confused focus. The danger of a confused focus. What do you mean? Splitting our focus with other things. Splitting our focus with other things. 
Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes that there's a time for every purpose under heaven. Let me say this. Husbands, when you're with your wife, she ought to be your focus. How many of you have ever been distracted when you're with your wife? I have. Let me tell you, it doesn't take her long to notice. Well, you're not listening to me. Women will tell you, right? You're not listening to me. You don't hear me. When we are with the Lord Jesus Christ and we're here to worship, our focus should be there. Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Listen, there's a racing theme in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul was using kind of an Olympic type theme. and He was talking about how, how we were look unto Jesus. That is the focal point of our race that we are running. I remember years ago, a runner in the Olympics, it was in 1986, I remember watching it. And he got out in front. I mean, he got way out in front. And it was a relay race, the 400-meter men's relay. And the American runner got so far out in front that he began to look for his friends in the crowd, and he began to wave. What he didn't know was that the runners from Jamaica were about to hand the baton to the fastest runner in the world. And at the anchor leg of that race, he closed that gap, and he blew by him. And he looked so foolish because he'd taken his focus in a different direction. So many of us today, that's why we're in trouble a lot of times, because we're not focused on Christ. We give half-hearted worship and half-hearted praise because our focus is not on Jesus Christ. It's the danger of a confused focus. Let me give you an illustration from the Bible. In Acts chapter 5, we read about Annas and Sapphira. I believe with all my heart, Ananias and Sapphira wanted to give an offering to the Lord. They wanted to be a blessing. Peter even said to them, well, while it was in your hand, was it not yours? If you only wanted to give a part of it, that was fine. You didn't have to give it all. But they had a confused focus. They wanted also the applause of man rather than just being pleasing to God. And in that folly... They both died. Because they thought we will make this big sacrifice and we will tell the church that we did this great thing for God by giving all. Their focus wasn't single-minded. That's the danger of a confused focus. Secondly, there's the danger of a cultural focus. The danger of a cultural focus where we try to please man rather than God. We look to the world today. So many churches today have put out surveys and say, what are you looking for in a church? And what are you hoping to find in a local church? And then they tailor that local church to meet the needs of the people. God is not a God of our culture. God is a God that transcends culture and transcends time. The Bible, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change with the changing times. And that's, that's why I'm so thankful he's the ancient of days. When I need consistency in my life, I can go to God, and he's the same God who saved me some 44 years ago. Same God. He hasn't changed a bit. God is not interested in us catering to the culture. And so we must focus on him. Listen to this. Both wrong focuses 
a confused focus or a cultural focus will take you down the wrong path and it'll lead to two things. Here's number one, a displeased spirit. A displeased spirit. Let me tell you what the Bible says about the Spirit of God, and I'm going to move quickly. We're out of time, but let me give you uh, the last 45 minutes of the message real quick. Scripture reminds us that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, we can vex the Holy Spirit, and an eye of fire lied to the Holy Spirit. You can sin against the Holy Spirit, and you can quench the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is not pleased. Think about Remember that illustration about your wife, fellas? She doesn't like it when your attention's elsewhere, especially you're out on a date, you're sitting across from her at a restaurant, and your mind is on work. It's easy to do. How do you think the Lord Jesus Christ feels when we're engaged in something we are supposed to be doing for his glory, and our minds are elsewhere? The spirit is grieved, vexed, and quenched. He's displeased. Not only that, we have a displeased spirit, but we'll have a discouraged saint. Let me tell you this. The fastest way to burn out is focusing on your ministry, not Jesus Christ. Ministry is the outworking of our faith. Faith without works is dead, right? It is the evidence in our life that our service for God is something we do because we love Christ, is, is the proof of our love. And so we give because we love. God loved us so much he gave his son. So we give because we love. But if we do it out of obligation, we're going to get burnt out. If we do it for that thing in particular, you're going to get burnt out. It's going to hurt you one day. It's going to discourage you one day. But if you do it for the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll renew the inner man. He'll strengthen you. I'm just trying to get your mind on this thought this morning. Our passion must be Jesus Christ. And it must be him alone. We have a displeased spirit and we have a discouraged scent. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians 4. I was going to speed it up, but I have to give you this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. How many of you think the Apostle Paul got discouraged from time to time? I know he got discouraged over his own spiritual walk. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. How many of you think the Apostle Paul felt physical pain from time to time? Wow, man, he was stoned, left for dead, beaten, imprisoned, whipped. The Apostle Paul had a lot of things going on in his life that would finish many of us. But here's what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful truth as he's getting into this point I want to make with you this morning. He, remi- he remembers the Creator. This God who shined out of darkness has shined in my life too. Shined out of my heart. Incredible how Paul can just draw on the strength of a creator God. Verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So he realized who God was. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, 
but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. It was Paul who wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. It was Paul that wrote, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Listen, when Christ is your all, when Christ is your passion, everything else doesn't matter. The danger, but let me give you this, the delights of a correct focus. Go back to Ephesians 3. The delights of having the right focus. Chapter 3, verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with, his, with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that he might be filled with the fullness of of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Let me give you this very quickly the delights of a correct focus. Number one, the renewal of the Spirit. Verse 16, he tells us that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with his might. Though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Listen, when you have the correct focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, he will strengthen you. He will help you. You won't have to worry about burnout because God will be your portion. Rest on him. Know his strength. And so he renew the inner man. Number two, you'll be rooted in your salvation. One of the most terrible things in the world is to not know if you're saved or not. To wander around in confusion. The Bible says in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith and ye being rooted and grounded in love, you'll have that assurance and you'll know and be grounded in the truth of God because he dwells in your heart by faith. What a wonderful thing when we make Christ our number one focus. Here's the third thing. We'll have a realization of scriptural truth. Verse 18 says, we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth. How many of you got saved and the Holy Spirit came in your life and the Bible became alive? He said, before I got saved, I, I couldn't understand that book. But now the Holy Spirit teaches me and shows me and guides me. I can't tell you how many times people come to me and say, Pastor, look what God showed me this week. And they open their Bible. What a blessing. I've read that 30 times, and they say, for the first time I saw it like that. I said, that's the Spirit giving you something right when you need it. A realization of scriptural truth. And so we see we have a deeper realization, and then we have a deeper relationship. Look at what it says in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Boy, that's what I want. I want the fullness of God in my life but I have to focus on him. My passion must be Christ. I've only got through two points. I have one more. Can I give it to you quickly? The forging of this passion. This might be the most important thing, the forging. How, how, how do we get there? How do we get to verse 21 that says, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus? Number one, we need a complete filling. We need a complete filling. Notice verse 20, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to what? The power that worketh in us. That power is the Holy Spirit. Are you surrendered? 
Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I can show you in Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5 where it says we are to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It is a daily thing to surrender. We must be filled with the Spirit, a complete, complete surrender and a complete filling. Notice the second thing, a conscious following. A conscious, have you made a decision to be obedient? Notice verse 21, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Notice it's not a command like a lot of things. Paul didn't say, make sure you give him glory. You better give him glory. Thus saith the Lord, he gets the glory. This is unto him. This is the end goal. This is something we are working towards. This is something that if a church is healthy and focused on Christ, this is what will happen. But are we making a conscious decision that we want to do everything for the glory of God? That we might glorify him in the local church? Listen, this is not just a Sunday behavior. We can't treat church like it's a shower. I'll go to church and I'll get clean. We must live daily expecting him to work in our lives and surrendering to him and bringing him glory with our lives that when we do come to church, it'll be just so easy. We'll be just so full. We'll want to sing his praises and bring him glory. I'm talking about the forging of this passion. Number three, we need a continuous fellowship. Look at these verses very quick. Verse 12, the Bible says, in whom we have boldness. Verse 16 says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Verse 17 says that Christ may dwell uh, in your hearts by faith. Look at verse 19. The Bible says, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. It says we must know the love of Christ and be filled with the fullness of God. And verse 21 says, unto him. Uh, listen, uh, we need a continuous following of him. Dedicating ourselves daily to be in the word and in prayer and following after him because in those six verses I just quoted quickly, it's all about him. It's Jesus Christ that makes the difference in our lives. So if we're going to forge a passion for Christ, we must follow after him. All of this fuels our passion. Having the right foundation, having the right focus, and working deliberately to forge a right relationship with God will bring him, the right, will bring him glory. Let me close with this illustration and I'm done. Here we go back to this idol worship, baseball. I've been a Blue Jays fan for as long as I can remember. I I enjoy baseball. I watch it. And there was a player several years ago by the name of Rajai Davis. Rajai Davis had come to Toronto Blue Jays from the Detroit Tigers, and he'd also played in Oakland at the end of his career and played for Cleveland and some other teams as well, I think. They called him the fourth best outfielder on any team. There's only three outfield positions, but a lot of teams were thrilled to have him because you need a good backup. But he was an exciting player. He could steal 50 bases in a year, and he'd run like the wind. And he always seemed to come up big in certain situations. He retired just about two years ago. He played a 14-year major league career. But there was something interesting in an interview I watched. After about the first six seasons in the major leagues, he was hitting about 210, 212, 214. You know, he was a guy who wasn't a big guy. He did eight or nine home runs a year and 50 RBIs. But he wasn't the guy that, that was going to lead the team to the World Series. 
They loved having him in the outfield. He was a defensive wizard, and they loved to get him on base late in the game because he could steal a base, get in scoring position. But then after about six years, he started hitting 270, and then 280. By the time he got to the Blue Jays, he was an everyday player. I mean, all of a sudden, they said, they said to him, Rajai, how come you blossom so late? Most players, by the time they're 25, they're kind of at their peak, and for the next five or six years till they're 31 or 32, they're, that's their prime years. He says, but you didn't until you were about 30. Start playing like you're playing now. And the last seven or eight years of his career were incredible. He said this. He says, for so long, I focused on baseball. And I worked and I worked and I worked. I'd go to batting cages early and I'd try to hit the... Um, more curveballs than I used to, and more fastballs. I would say, pitch them faster. I need to learn how to hit a harder ball. And he says, I, I do fielding drills, and I do running drills. And he says, he said this on national TV, in the process, I forgot all about Christ. One day the Lord broke me, and I got my relationship with the Lord right. He says, it's amazing when your relationship with God is right, how much easier everything else in life is. What a thing that they did not censor, but they let go on national TV. I thought, praise the Lord. Here's a young man in front of a national audience saying, from now on, my focus is Jesus Christ. And if I can bring him glory by how I play, that's fine. And if not, that's fine too. I'll step away. But the day he decided to bring God glory in his life, God turned his whole career around. That's what I'm talking about. Our passion has to be in the right place our focus on Christ. Let's bow this morning. Let's stand as we hear a hymn of invitation. If God has spoke to your heart, this altar's open. May God give us a passion for Him. I like a lot of things, but I want my love to be Focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe there's one here today say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. That verse you quoted that you may know that you have eternal life, I don't know. I'm not sure. We want to help you today. I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to call it anybody's name. I promise you I won't do that. But is there one here to say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die today or Christ were to return today, I'm not ready for that. We'd like to help you. And like I said before, it won't be a church creed or covenant. We'll take God's Bible, His Holy Word, and show you what it means to have eternal life through His Son, Jesus Christ. They say, you don't know what I've done. I know how big my God is. He said, whosoever will. Think about that. Whosoever will may come. He didn't put any conditions on that statement whatsoever. He said, but I'm a Jehovah Witness or I'm a Muslim. Doesn't matter, you can come to Jesus. He said, I'm a, I'm a drunkard or I'm, a, I'm addicted to drugs. It doesn't matter. Jesus can save you today if you just put your faith and trust in him. And he will change your life. He'll take all that brokenness and all that hurt and all that sin and he'll wash it away with his blood. And you can be a new creature in Christ today by trusting him. Is there one say, Pastor, I'm not saved and I want that. 
Would you slip up your hand? I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise. Is there one? Preacher, pray for me. I'm just not sure I'm going to heaven. And they're all sure. Sure. 